You're listening to Path of Love with David Youngren. To learn more about us, visit pathoflovecenter.com. Welcome back to the Path of Love. We are talking to David Youngren on chapter 10 of his book, Awakening to I Am Love. Chapter 10 is entitled, The Heart Transformation. Let's talk with David. Hey, David, how are you doing today? It's always a delight to speak with you, Marcus. So I'm doing good. That's That's, the bottom line. That is the bottom line. Um, As long as you're doing good, that's a good thing. Well, I hope you're doing well. (laughs) I am doing very well. I'm doing very well. Yeah, just, you know, going through life and life is good. Life is good, isn't it? It is. That is for sure. And it's summertime, and it's a lot of things to enjoy. It's July, and life is just just so beautiful. It is. Um, And a lot of sunshines, flowers blooming, birds flying, you know, a lot of things to just be happy about. Absolutely. So let's talk about Chapter 10, The Heart Transformation. You start out with a portrayal of a caterpillar transforming into a butterfly, which is a lot of people's definitions of transformation because that's a great portrayal of, of transformation from one to another. Um, and then, you know, you moved into finding your true self. So you put, while the cognitive mind is vital for gaining knowledge, and comprehension, transformation does not occur as a rational process in your mind. Transformation begins in a non-conscious or as a spiritual text, often referred to as the heart. Can you explain a little bit about that? First of all, let me just point out that transformation, in order to understand transformation, we need to understand who we are. And that's what we have talked so much about in the book that obviously we are spirit, we're a consciousness, we are pure consciousness, awareness, and then we have all these things that have been added on to us since we were born, or what we call conditioned. Uh, we've been conditioned to see the world a certain way. But at the very core, we're all spirit, we're all consciousness, and, and spirit is one with God. God is the infinite presence that permeates the universe, the indivisible whole the, the, that undergirds all reality. And we have kind of spoken a little bit about this from a scientific point of view. What I'm talking about here is really how do we now manifest this spirit, God, our oneness with God through our f- thoughts and our form? How do we move from that stage of where we are in a way caterpillars, but our true identity is that of a butterfly. How do we make that transformation? How do we come to that point where we now begin to manifest God in our thoughts and our form? And when I mention God, I'm talking about love, peace, oneness, that really has that incredible effect on our lives, that it makes our lives and improves our lives in so many, many different ways. So the point that I'm making here is this, your spirit, your spirit is one with God. That's your true self. But 
the reality of your life is often driven by the ego or the egoic mind that is unaware, that is not conscious, that is lost in thoughts. And in order to experience a transformation, your heart first has to be transformed or your non-conscious or what we sometimes call the subconscious or metacognitive mind, the unconscious mind. And when I, when I refer to this, I'm talking about the feeling, your inner sense of self, your subconscious feelings that you have about yourself that is either rooted in love and which is then your spirit or it's rooted in fear. Now, a lot of people say, well, I'm not fearful, but a lot of things that we do is rooted in fear. And you see this expressed through many of the egoic traits where we seek to enhance ourselves, to stand out in the crowd, to be better than, because we're dealing with an insecurity, which is rooted in fear and insecurity that I'm not enough. So that's really what I'm talking about. The heart is the place that needs to be transformed. The heart is how you perceive yourself. And if your heart is transformed, then your mind and your thoughts and everything else will change because of it. So let's rewind for a second and go back to some of the definitions that you use. You use some of them we're familiar with as non-conscious, subconscious, um, unconscious mind, but med metacognitive mind. How do you define that? When I say that, it's basically all the same. Metacognitive, it's, it's just another word for subconscious. And when I refer to that, I'm really talking about uh, the processes in the mind that occur automatically below the thoughts that you're aware of. So you have thoughts, but then you have inner thoughts and that they occur automatically. You're not even conscious of it. In other words, there are activities in your mind that are not really available for introspection or some kind of analysis, but they shape your thought patterns and form your sense of self. And that's really what I'm referring to, that there are a lot of things that has happened in our life. There are a lot of things that's taking place in our life that has shaped us to become what we are today. And there is a core feeling that we have about ourselves, a core sense of ourselves that is rooted in fear or in shame. Of course, these are not terms that most people will see in themselves, but if you actually go very deep, if you would, and I'm not a psychiatrist here, I'm not a therapist here to, to analyze people, but if you go deep enough in yourself, you will see that there are these recurring thought patterns that you seem to not be able to shake. And what are those recurring thought patterns? They are rooted in your inner sense of self in your heart, in your metacognitive mind, in your unconscious mind, in your, in your subconscious. And as I said, all those things refer to the same thing. So you say to get from where uh, we are to where we want to be individually all co and collectively, we need, to, we need a strategy and process to renew and renovate these automatic hidden thoughts processes in our mind. So are those hidden thoughts in the metacognitive mind? Yes, exactly. So in other words, there are these thought patterns, there are these thought patterns in the subconscious, and maybe we can use the word subconscious because it's probably a little easier. We can stick to one word maybe, maybe subconscious or heart. There are these thought patterns that have, we have in our heart that uh, are, are automatic, we're not aware of them, and they then, then have automatized instincts and feelings 
and desires. So the feelings and the desires and the, the way we are has been programmed in a way into our subconscious. So we act out in a way, these feelings that we have about ourselves. But it seems like it's really difficult if you don't know that that thought is there to understand the reason why you're acting a certain way. I mean, is, is that easy to, an easy statement to, 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 to say? I think that if you look at, you may not know exactly all the different things in your life, as far as what is, what are the hidden instincts and feelings and desires and activities in your mind and all the things that's been programmed into mind. You may not know all those and you may never know all of them, but you can, you can notice the effects of it. So when we struggle in our lives with anxiety, when we struggle with worry, when we struggle with stress, when we struggle with feeling that we, whether we are good enough for that job or not good enough for that job, when we struggle with insecurities on our relationships, when we struggle with these plethora of different issues that some another, whether we're good enough or when we even struggle with pride and feeling a sense of, you know, I'm better than so-and-so, those are all traits that signify that there is a pattern, an unconscious pattern in our heart that that is counterproductive. When we, we refer to this as the ego in the past. So it's, it's the same thing as the ego. It's the ego has been uh, programming into our subconscious. And that's why we spend so much time talking about the ego, because it, in a sense, the ego has been programmed into our subconscious. So, so now we live out the reality of the ego. We live out the reality of the programming and the conditioned mind, the sub conditioned subconscious mind. So you start out with building relationships and the non-conscious mind. Uh, you had an example of, you know, someone dating someone and, you know, all, and I'm going to use the word sizing them up pretty much, you know, you, you go out and your next thing, you know, you're talking to someone, but you're really thinking, Hmm, what is this person like? What's in, in the back of your mind? Things are, are, are moving. Can you explain that a little bit? You say that it might be even called your gut instinct. Yeah, I mean, this applies to really any relationship, whether it's you're, you're seeking to date somebody or you're just seeking a business relationship or friendship or anything. So when you meet a person for the first time, you try to figure them out, right? So you think of well, who are they really at the core? But you, of course, you don't ask those questions, but you are indirectly trying to figure them out. And you wonder, how can they be trusted? How will that relationship benefit me? Uh, does this relationship have that potential? And we look at how similar they are to us because we somehow or another identify more with people who are like us. We like people who are like us. I, I've heard of people sending surveys out to on an email list. And so, for example, in your particular situation, your name is Marcus Noel, that you are more likely to fill out a survey if, if the person was called Marcus uh, Noel or something like that <laughs> yeah. survey, right? Simply mm -hmm. because it's closer to you feel a sense of, oh, I can trust that person. So why is this? What is going on here? Well, on the conscious level, your conscious mind, we can analyze and we can look at the person. We hear their stories. We hear, hear about their, 
their upbringing. We learn a lot of different things about them. So, but this conscious mind can only process 2000 bits of information per second, which seems like a lot, but it's still minimal comparison to what your subconscious mind is able to process. Your heart is able to process 400 billion bits of information per second. So you compare that to 2000 bits of information. So you realize that 99.9% of all the action is in your subconscious. So this subconscious controls your entire body and makes sure it functions. And so basically you think of it this way, your subconscious has been programmed since childhood. So all the experiences you've had, all the things that you've gone through, all the things that you've learned has been scrambled together, formed an inner sense of self. What do I mean by that? What I mean by that is that there's, there's a part of your brain called hippocampus. Now hippocampus is in charge of long-term memory. So think about if you go into a library, this hippocampus as a library, where every experience is a book. But so it has been stored in this library and then you don't think about it anymore. So any experiences you've had, well, you're stored in the library, but you don't think about it. It's just stored in long-term memory. But here's the interesting part. Not only has the incident or the event itself been stored, but the feelings that you had when you had that event. So what happens is this, you, you have this whole, you have this enormous library. You have, I mean, in that head of yours, you have an enormous library in this hippocampus of yours. You have an enormous library of things that have taken place. And everything that has taken place also has a feeling, an emotion attached to it. Not everything, but the things that you remember has an emotion attached to it. So in, when you deal with people, when you deal with relationships, when you deal with somebody, for example, if you were having a conversation with me and I reminded you of someone negative in your life, you never met me before. Well, if it triggers this negative memory about this person that you met a long time ago, well, your gut feeling would say, oh, I don't know if I like him. Why? You know, I may be a good person. I may be a great person, but you may have that feeling about me. You don't know whether I'm, you know, what I'm like, but your gut feeling says, because you're not even aware of this, but because I reminded you of some person that you didn't like from previously, then you have this gut feeling and this gut feeling says that this is not a good person. So you notice here how deceptive that gut feeling that we may have. Sometimes it's right, but a lot of times it's not because it's based on the programming that we have received. And that's why politically, for example, some people will like certain parties over others. It's all how we've been programmed in some sense. That's why we can come to such different conclusions. So you see here, and when it comes to relationship, um, for example, if you're, if you're a young woman and you're looking to, to uh, you know, to date this guy and maybe your father or maybe a past boyfriend was verbally or physically abusive toward you. So what happens is th those past experiences have been lodged into your subconscious. It's been lod lodged into your hippocampus in the library. So you have the feelings attached to that horrible experience. So now, you're going to try to analyze what kind of person this is. So for example, you may look for a healer type in the guy. Well, you want someone to fix you because you have all this, you've been messed up. So you're looking for a guy that's gonna fix you. 
mm-hmm. right? Or you may look for a person that is really bad and abusive guy because somehow or another, that's what you feel you deserve. So these hidden inner narratives about who we are come into so many different forms and are shaped by so many different factors. The ego needs to feel unique and superior. The ego then oftentimes may look for someone who's going to say wonderful things about us, who's Mm going to reinforce the story that we have about ourselves. So you see how incredibly deceptive this is. And that's why we need to experience transformation because all our problems, struggles, uh, suffering, unhappiness stem from this unconscious programming that we have. It's interesting how all of this happens without you even knowing that it's happening. Um, all the imprints and the impressions and the, the stamps on your heart or your unconscious is being formed and stamped on you without you even knowing. It's, for example, I'm not sure if you have ever seen a hypnotist. And I use the word hypnotist because they work on your unconscious or your subconscious and when they bring someone back to um, where they were in a bad situation you're right they still feel the same feelings that that stamped uh, situation has caused them at that time Mm -hmm. exactly because the situation in your memory is as real as the actual event and you interpret it as you're going through the event again so when you when someone brings you back to a bad memory, it, you you go through the same emotions again. If it's a good memory, you go through the same emotions again. It's very fascinating. And then you realize, well, this is where the transformation has to take place. So if we are one with God, if our true essence is one with God, and if that if our inner sense of self is based on love, our union, not just with some abstract being somewhere, but with the ground of being, that's the thing that undergirds all reality, that undergirds every person that is within everyone. If we, when we awaken to that, in order to, to then experience a true transformation, the transformation first has to take place in your heart. That's how you change your actions. That's how you actually change your life. So the transformation takes place in your heart. The awakening or your spirit is always there, is always your, your, your true essence doesn't change. It's your heart that has to go through the transformation. So you talk about the heart in ancient wisdom. I know you quoted some of Solomon's um, passages as, uh, for as he thinks in his heart, so he is. And then uh, another uh, proverb suggests that everything you do flows from your heart. Can you elaborate a little bit more on that? This started for me a number of years ago. I've been teaching about this for quite a number of years now. And of course, as you know, I'm, uh, I was a pastor for many years and came out of the Christian tradition. So a lot of things I learned about the subconscious and these unconscious biases was actually from reading, uh, you know, Solomon and the wisdom that comes from him, and not just Solomon, but reading from biblical texts, specifically uh, some of the more predic texts. And so I gained so much insight from reading this. So for example, when it says, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Well, you are not, for example, when, when Solomon said that, you are not exactly every thought you have. Like I can get in an airplane and suddenly 
uh, think, oh, I'd like to be a pilot. I've been sitting in a cockpit a number <laughs> of different times. And I always thought, well, what happened if the pilot was suddenly kind of uh, have a heart attack? I mean, a horrible mm -hmm. thing to think. Then suddenly I have to be a pilot. Just because I have that thought, it doesn't make me a pilot. So, but what Solomon is saying is as a person thinks in his heart, in your subconscious, in that place of feeling, so is he. In other words, you manifest how you perceive yourself, your feeling aspect of you, you manifest in your regular life. Person's sense of self was not bound to the conscious thoughts, but to the deeper feelings that are hidden. And so then the other part of it, what that you quoted there, everything you do flows from your heart. And, and actually it's in the original text, it talks about the boundaries or the limitations. See, we all live within certain boundaries. Uh, the heart has set these limitations. The feelings you have about yourself has set these limitations. So when we venture out beyond the limits of your heart or your subconscious, whether good or bad, it causes stress and discomfort. And that's why, for example, you may just before, have you ever gone to a job interview and you have this incredible stress because you are venturing out into something that you never done before and now you have all this incredible insecurity and suddenly you start feeling ill or you get pimples all over your face and or you're going on that date and you feel like she's much more beautiful than you are handsome and you have all these insecurities so then especially you get the pimples and even to the point where we begin to self-destruct when we move beyond the boundaries of our heart our self-perception our inner feelings that we have about ourselves when we move outside that it causes this incredible feeling that I, I gotta, I can't let this happen. So notice how many times people, and you probably met people like this, they enter into a relationship, but they're always afraid of being rejected. Maybe they were rejected as children. Maybe the father rejected them. Maybe the father was not present. So they have, they're dealing with all these deeper rejections. And that whenever somebody gets close to them, they self-destruct the relationship the closer they get, the more they fall in love. And so they just self-destruct. They some another find a way to subconsciously push the other person out so that they will reject them. And so it's interesting how this works. So that's really what I'm talking about. And then what, what I find really fascinating, the two more things that I find really fascinating about this. Another spiritual text says in Jeremiah that the heart is deceitful above all else. And I started looking up that in the original text, the heart then, of course, being your subconscious, the feelings that you have about yourself is deceitful more than all else. And that word deceitful about more, more than all else in the original text actually says footprints. So it has this incredible, think about this, Marcus, it has this kind of incredible connotation that your heart or your inner sense of self has been trampled upon. Someone has left an imprint on you. In other words, external voices and forces have shaped our unconscious sense of self. So whether it's your parents, whether it's a teacher, whether somebody at the job, maybe someone, your girlfriend or your boyfriend or husband or wife, somebody had left an emotional scar and I'm not blaming them, but they have left a scar on your subconscious, on your inner, uh, on your heart that has now that is now shaping what you do, shaping how you see the world, shaping how you interact with other people, shaping how you think, your thought patterns and all of that, your sense of self, your self-worth and your self-identity. And then finally, 
and I'm you jump in there anytime. But finally, what, what I learned from some of these spiritual texts is that when your heart is healthy, for example, Solomon said a peaceful heart leads to a healthy body. So think of that, that when your heart is whole, when your inner sense of self is rooted in your true essence, in your true self, in that divine essence, when it's rooted in love, what happens, your body naturally heals itself. A cheerful heart is good medicine. And a broken spirit saps a person's strength, Solomon said. So it seems like science is now figuring this out. So the ancient text, Solomon, that this was written thousands of years ago, Solomon actually talks about what a lot of people are now saying, what science is now figuring out, that your subconscious has this incredible impact on your emotional well-being, your mental well-being, and your physical well-being. You And... That's an extremely good point when saying that, because you just want to be around people who are more joyful, more happy, more um, expressive of their joy and their, their, their love. And, and, and you, it makes you feel good inside as well. So it attracts other uh, uh, um, people who want to be in that place, too. Yeah, no, of course, it's, it's very important that we're around the right people because they shape us, they shape our heart. So if you're around people who speak good things into your life rather than leave their footprints of, of negative attitudes and leave your footprints of uh, condemnation, guilt, and shame, well, that destroys you even more. Of course, you're around good people. Obviously, at the end of the day, it's not the people that you're around. We all have to awaken within, but... People can help us in that process. People can be there for us and help us in that process where we kind of move deeper than our ego and we awaken within to our truest and deepest self that is one with God that then transforms our heart, our inner sense of self that heals our heart. Okay, so let's, let's talk about how transformation happens. So you talk a portion about it on how transformation happens in this chapter. Um, you said change seemingly requires a conscious process that involves willpower. Can you explain that a little bit? Well, there's a difference. I'm trying to make the point that th there's a difference between change and transformation. Change is a process of the ego trying to uh, lose old habits. For example, if, if there are some old habits we don't like, there are certain things about ourselves we don't like. So then the ego uses willpower to somehow or another to change ourselves. So if it's reading books, taking courses and listening to various teachers are all tools we use for self-improvement, but change is hard. And that's where we ultimately fail. Now, transformation on the other hand involves an entirely different approach where change is not the goal, even though that's the outcome. Change is you focus on what you want to become. You focus on this is what I want to, this is my goal. This is how I like to be. You, in other words, when you say you like to change, for example, if your goal is I want to be a good person, well, what you just told yourself is that you're not a good person right now, right? Mm -hmm. And so then you're going to lay out all these different steps on how can I become a good person? Do this, do that, do this. And that is very challenging because that causes you to 
try to do it with your conscious mind and your subconscious won't allow that because in your subconscious, in your heart, you've been programmed by the egoic mind. You've been programmed to think that I am not that. I am not a good person. So now you're trying to somehow convince your subconscious mind or your mind that you're, that, that you're a good person, and it doesn't work. It's like takes tremendous effort. When and you so say you change, when you use the word change, are you stamping another negative connotation or stamp onto your subconscious? Because like you said, if I have to change from something that I believe I'm not to something that I believe I am, or I, I want to be, you are stamping another negative on your, your subconscious, correct? Absolutely. So for example, you, we, can, we can make this really relatable to people perhaps. So how many been in a bad relationship? I'm sure a lot of people who have listened to us right now have been in a bad relationship. So what happens mm -hmm. when you're in your bad relationship? Well, you want to change the other person. And so the other person says, oh, I'm so sorry, I'll never do this again. Mm -hmm. Well, guess what? That person will do it again. Because the person is incapable of doing anything other. It's not that they don't want to change. Everybody wants to change. So someone, like say someone is continually cheats, you know, like as a cheater. Mm -hmm. Well, the person wants to say, they may say, I, I don't want, I promise I'll never do this again. But the problem is that the person's heart or subconscious has been programmed to see themselves as a cheater. And the more they say that, okay, I am a cheater, but I will change, the more you're now reinforcing that mm -hmm. image within you that you're a cheater. And so it doesn't work. There's not, the more you get into that uh, mindset, the more you reinforce the image that you have of yourself that you're a cheater. And it doesn't work. That's why you need to experience transformation. That transformation is a totally different process where your, your starting point is not to be a good person because you're enough the way you are. In other words, you start with a spirit, my spirit, my true essence. And now allow that sense of awareness of your inner self. When you awaken to that which you are, when you awaken to your true essence, when you awaken to your spirit that is one with God, when you awaken to your oneness, when you awaken to love, now there is an inner transformation that takes place in your heart so that your self-image is, is not dictated by your conscious mind, how you try to force something to happen, but it's now is now effortless flowing from being aware or awakened to your inner sense of self, your true essence, your oneness with God, your true essence that permeates with love, grace, and peace. So how do you, I, I know I want to ask, how do you do that? And I know you speak about meditation, but to go back to one little specific thing that we, we talked about just a, a second ago is when you reach this state, is it difficult to be around others who are not in that state? I know you said that, okay, you know, be, be cognitive about, about who you're around or, you know, what helps support you staying in that type of um, mind frame, but say you're married to someone or say you're, your coworkers are those type of people that don't help support 
you in this this mind frame how do you how do you live in that area first of all in the beginning when you first begin to awaken it's going to be a challenge because in some ways you kind of you know when you're in that state of sleep half awake so you go in and out and so a lot of people live in that state of going in and out but when you truly awaken when you truly are fully awake and you're fully aware of your presence what happens on the outside cannot impact you does not impact you and that's that's reality but of course very few people have reached that point but when you reach that point when when you're still in that in between states when you're yeah you're a little bit awake but you're still very tired and you're still like in between then people the people that you have around you will certainly affect you we just say for a second that jesus was truly awakened now he was going through a lot of things but at the same time when he was on that cross when the people were there rejecting him and all his friends had left him he still had the fortitude to say father forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. Well, in other words, what the outside, what the voices from the outside, what people were saying about you did not impact you because you had come to that point of being aware. Your awareness of the divine presence within you is more powerful, was stronger, is more real than what, what you see around you. You also write about meditation. So let's talk about that. You say, um, uh, according to David, uh, the shepherd in the Bible and a king in Israel, meditation was the way to commune with your heart. Meditate with your heart and be still. Can you elaborate or be or go into some detail on meditation? And I guess everyone meditates differently um in places and whatever it, it, it takes to to get you to that spot but for listeners who have never done that before how what is your recommendation so think about it this way your true essence your spirit is one with god right that's who you are but transformation takes place not in your spirit because it's already perfect it's already complete it doesn't take place in your mind. So where does it take place in your heart? So how do you meditate? How do you communicate with your heart? How do you transform your heart? Well, through meditation, meditate within your heart. He said, David said, meditate within your heart, meditate in that inner place, that unconscious place where your feelings are. And so you can, you know, if you meditate on horrible things, if you meditate on fear, well, that's the reality you're going to live out. If you meditate on what you see and all the things around you, if you meditate on uh, politics or uh, whatever it is, sicknesses and diseases and what people have done you wrong, all the things that are happening on the outside, if you meditate on those things, well, that's going to create fear. The filter that you see life through is fear. So when you meditate, and here's the point that I'm trying to make when you meditate on divine love, when you meditate on love and peace, what happens, then there is a transformation of your heart of how you see the world. So there is 
So first of all, the two things with meditation. First of all, meditation opens you up to your inner man, to your true essence, to your spirit. So it's a point of stillness where you kind of let go of all thoughts. So that's one form of meditation. You meditate, you become still to the point where you're no longer, your mind is no longer racing back and forth. You're just aware of this incredible presence within you that permeates with love. You're aware of this divine presence. You're aware of your true self within. But then secondly, there's a second form of meditation where you now begin to reprogram your heart. And how do you reprogram your heart? You reprogram your heart by now having images that in your imagination. So because you think about it, this the imagination is, uh, is really what has programmed your heart for all the negativity. So what you have done is this, when something negative happens, or for example, like, um, let's use the example of COVID-19. If you think about, I'm gonna get COVID-19, I'm gonna get COVID-19. If you think about that all the time, now it creates this fearful image inside you. So you, you meditate on that and it creates these images and you see yourself sick or you see yourself going to the, rest of the hospital and you wonder whether you're going to survive. And you have all these different images in your that now the more you think about that, the more it's going to get into your heart, the more it's going to be launched and there's going to create so much fear and turmoil in your life. So think about now if we reverse that and if you meditate on love, peace and all of that, what happens then is there is a transformation. So for me, I meditate on divine love, I meditate on my ego, for example, being crucified with Christ. In other words, my ego, my this self-perception that I have of myself that is based on me, I, and my own significance and, and everything else. If I meditate and, and, and just come to the place of love, it transforms me. I feel a sense of transformation taking place within me. So that's really what I'm referring to. It's it's seeing the biblical text it talks about the eyes of the heart. And of course, meditation is something that, you know, we learn more from Eastern religions, but it's so much of that in the Bible as well. For example, the eyes of your heart, when, when you see that, when the eyes of your deep mind is enlightened, when your imagination, when your imagination is filled with love, it alters your unconscious mind and now then changes your self-perception and how you perceive the world. So does it pretty much, you, when you say imagination, I, I think of pictures. I think of things that support words that are being said or being thought of in my mind. So it's like reading a book. Everyone has a picture of the character in the book uh, based upon their imagination. So as you flow and meditate and imagine love, peace, joy, prosperity, all those types of things, a picture comes up in your mind. Is that picture and those feelings and thoughts re-stamping your subconscious or your, your, yes. your mind? So for example, if you meditate on Oh, I want to be famous. I want to be, I want to be rich and all those different things. That that is still rooted in the ego. Then there's there's still rooted in that you still feel like that's how I'm gonna be happy. That's how I'm gonna get my sense of fulfillment. So that's still ego. That's still rooted in fear. That's still rooted in me, mine, or I. So when I'm talking about meditation, is meditating on 
divine love. So I, I think I, for those who have heard me speak, have obviously heard me tell this story, but it all started for me in, in 2005 when I started having these cluster headaches and I was feeling really terrible on the inside. I was dealing with all kinds of doubts and questions and guilt and, and all these different emotions. And I was really feeling horrible depression. And I started having these cluster headaches. And one day I just had this inner prompting to meditate on, and I didn't know much about meditation. I didn't know what to do. So I just sat down and, and I relived images that I had just watched in the movie, The Passion of the Christ. So I, I relived images of Jesus in my mind that by his stripes, I was healed. So I, I saw these like, uh, you know, the whip of, uh, of uh, what are they called, of, of cat of nine tails, how it ripped into Jesus' skin. And that represented love for me. And so when I, when I kind of did that, I, I almost, it was like I, in my imagination, Jesus looked at me and all that I could see was love. All that I could see was just that he knew everything about me, but I was still loved. I was still loved. I was still accepted. So at that moment, I was overcome with this inner sense of love and, and instantly the pain left. Now, that is one way to do it. I'm not suggesting, okay, there was some mystical thing with this and this is what everybody's got to do. No, that's what I'm saying. What I'm saying to you is, is when, when you meditate, when you allow your imagination to be filled with images of love, whether it's just one word, if you just focus on the word love and allow that to penetrate your very being, eventually that begins to change you. And, you know, scientists have not proven that biological changes occurring in the brain when people's practices kind of loving kindness meditation i can get into those with yeah. you as well but you say that meditation has uh it does have great mental and physical benefits um to meditating and but it's not to meditating it's to meditating on the right things correct yes because you can meditate on negative things and i said as you said there are two types of meditation there's the meditation when you just come to a place of stillness the goal is to awaken within and that changes everything ultimately that leads to transformation of everything but you can also then meditate on images loving kindness images or words you can just say for us, i am love or you can say god is love if you just meditate on that just those few short words or you can meditate on uh something that involves loving kindness. What happens when you do that, it reduces activity in the amygdala. That is the organ in the brain that generates anxiety and fear. So that's incredible. Think about that, how many people deal with anxiety and fear. Mm -hmm. And so when you meditate on this divine love, and that's why we put together a program in 2011, 2012 called Amazing Life. The people go through this for 40 days to change their changed their life based on us and, and literally thousands of people have been so transformed by this. But then it also blocks access to the emotional pain of the past in the hippocampus that we talked about. Remember how that has the pain, the emotions associated with past experiences? Well, it actually blocks that part of the brain, which is fascinating, right? And then thirdly, it increases activity in the brain stem. Now, you know what the brain stem is in charge of? It's in charge of your immune system. So what happens is this, it improves your immune system. 
So when you meditate on love, it improves your immune system. So immune system has the power to heal you. If, so, so that's what really happened to me. When I began to meditate on love, my immune system was given a boost and suddenly the pain left like that. And that's why it's so incredible when you start doing this. And then fourthly, it also increases activity in the frontal lobe of the brain, which improves your emotional well-being and improves your communication skills. Although I probably could improve a little bit more, your problem-solving ability and your creativity. And fifthly, when you meditate on loving kindness, it diminishes your sense of self or selfishness. So the boundary between the self and the object we're meditating on becomes blurred. So if you meditate on God as love, what happens? You begin to experience a sense of oneness with God, and you begin to experience that as love, as peace, as grace. And you come to that point where you're now aware of your oneness with God. So these are all the incredible benefits that comes with uh, meditation. It seems like it's a natural medicine that everybody in the world has an opportunity to partake in. And it just, it's undiscovered. People are unaware of, and it's not only meditation, it's unaware of being awoken to this type of life. Yeah, of course, so many people are not living that kind of life. And because they're living through the conditioned mind, they're living through the egoic mind. And that's why we spend so much time talking about this, because I want people to see themselves. And if people are just listening to this podcast today, I encourage you to go back and listen to the previous episodes and read the book, because it's going to help you see yourself. And, and the process is that we got to come to this point where we begin to recognize the egoic mind in ourselves because it creates then a desire. I want to be free from that. I don't want to deal with that egoic mind. I want to live in peace. I want to live in happiness. I want to enjoy life, this beautiful, incredible life. And then we come to this kind of awakening. We begin to see our true essence, who we are. And then we begin to meditate on divine love that transforms our heart that then transforms our inner sense of self so then now the filter through which we see everything is no longer fear but the filter through which we see and observe reality is love and so the filter when i see somebody who is doing me wrong i'm no longer seeing them through this need to protect myself to to protect my sense of self-image and to defend myself i'm seeing them through love and I'm able to do what Jesus said, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. In other words, he saw beyond their egoic mind. He saw them for their true essence, that they were one with him, as he talked about. And they were one with God. Think about what happens when we begin to see the person who's done us wrong, the people we have trouble with, when we begin to see them through the filter of love. How many relationships would not be healed and whole because of it. Mm -hmm. So in closing, you say, so when you're when you meditate upon God as love, you experience oneness with that love. Your unconscious mind discovers the true essence of your spirit that is one with God, which also makes you conscious of selfless love. In what, in that awareness, you find that love is who you are, not just as an 
intellectual concept, but as a deep inner knowing that guides your life. And you say, with the last words, I am love. It's, it's beautiful. And it's something that a transformation really, uh, thinking of the transformational journey that you, you would go through is, uh, and this isn't the end. This is just like the beginning of it, you know, because once you're in here and you're, you're, you're feeling this, it, it's, it's an, like an open book to a whole new life, a whole new world, a whole new thought. And it's a whole new thinking. And it's not, it's not like the end, you know, people say, Oh, I made it. No, you, you, you got here, but now you see things so differently. And it's like a whole new book. I think one of the mistakes that people make, and sometimes people, and it's okay, I don't mean they say accuse me, but sometimes they say, okay, well, you know, what you're teaching is this really, this is not how I see Christianity, this is not the message of, of Christ. I said, no, I think this is the real message of Jesus. Sometimes, and I'm, I, as I said, I don't say there's a condemnation, I just say that as an observation, that the main, a lot of people within Christianity see Christianity, and we, we see this manifested in how people live and how they interact, the politics and everything else, that they see themselves as wicked, lost, hopeless, that there's nothing good come out of them, and that they need some kind of a person to save them and kind of give them an insurance policy that if you just believe this, okay, it doesn't matter how bad you are, but if you just believe that if you align your thoughts with this kind of thinking, if you just agree with it on a mentally, on a mental level, like if you just accept these like um, articles of of uh, uh, beliefs or statements of faith, if you just accept, then everything's going to be okay. And that's why so many people, so many Christians, live this frustrated life because they don't say it doesn't add up. But for me, Christianity is seeing Jesus. Jesus was awakened to his divine essence. We all have that divine essence within us. Jesus was awakened, and when he was awakened, it transformed his humanity. It transformed his humanity so that he now perceived reality through the lens of God, through love, through oneness, through wholeness, through oneness. So to be a disciple of Jesus, to be a follower of Jesus is to see the world as he sees the world through the filter of love. And so how do we get to that point? And that's why I'm suggesting meditation. That's why I'm suggesting when we meditate, when we, when we come to that place of stillness, stillness within, complete, pure awareness, and then we add to that stillness images and to our imagination love, peace, and grace, to the point where now our inner sense of self, our heart, our subconscious is made whole, where there is a healing, the brokenhearted is healed, where the filter now of how you perceive everything, all the conscious mind, all the things that you perceive are not perceived through this filter of love rather than through the filter of fear. You're perceiving reality through selfless, unconditional love that only sees wholeness that only sees no condemnation no guilt that doesn't see 
an enemy out of another, doesn't make an enemy out of another, but sees as I am, as, as I'm in the Father, the Father is in me. I'm in you. You are in me. We are one. It seems like a heaven in me. Exactly. It, it, it is heaven perfect. in me. It is heaven in me. Mm -hmm. That's the beauty, right? <laughs> it's perfect. It is. <laughs> it is. Yeah. And so then you think about, so we are moving. What we talked about last time, we're moving. Evolution is then this movement toward this collective awakening. So it happens in us individually. But then the more and more of us awaken to this, there's a collective awakening taking place that we move from egocentric, ethnocentric, world-centric to Christ-centric, where we're now a full expression of the divine, that our form, the formlessness within us is the divine essence within us is now being expressed through this form and it's expressed through kindness, through generosity, through compassion, through empathy, through forgiveness, through a heart that is whole, through just this peace, heaven on earth. Well, I want to say thank you, David, for writing chapter 10. Because chapter 10 in your book, Awakening to I Am Love, has really um, captured a lot in the text that allows a person to awaken and open their eyes or at least move towards the direction of a transformation. So I want to say thank you very much for this. Thank you very much, Marcus. I appreciate that. I encourage everyone out there again to pick up the book Awakening to I Am Love by David Youngren. And if you haven't been following along with us, please um, uh, go back and listen to all the other chapters. And this may be a good time for you to pause for a moment and reflect on I Am Love. Thanks for listening to today's podcast of Path of Love with David Youngren. This podcast is produced by the Path of Love Center, thanks to the generosity of our donors. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider rating it, writing a review, and sharing it with a friend. Together, we can grow an inclusive community around the transformational work of love. To learn more about Path of Love and get daily wisdom seeds sent to your email inbox, visit pathoflovecenter.com. You can also download David Youngren's guided audio meditation, Healing Stillness, for free at our website. From all of us at Path of Love, may love, joy, and peace be with you always.